Streams of Silver, Chapter 15, The Gollum's Eyes Drizzt had little trouble convincing Bruno to revise their course and head back to the west. While the dwarf was anxious to get to Sundabar and find out what Helm might know, the possibility of valuable information less than a day away set him off and running. As to how he came by the information, Drizzt offered little explanation, saying only that he had met up with a lone traveler on the road to Silvery Moon during the night. Though the story sounded contrived to them, his friends, respecting his privacy and trusting him fully, did not question him about it. When they ate breakfast, though, Regis hoped that more information would be forthcoming, for the biscuits that this traveler had given to Drizzt were truly delicious and incredibly refreshing. After only a few bites, the halfling felt as if he'd spent a week at rest, and the magic salve immediately healed Wolfgar's injured leg and back, and he walked without the cane for the first time since they'd left the Evermores. Wolfgar suspected that Drizzt's encounter had involved someone of great importance long before the drow revealed his marvelous gifts. For the drow's inner glow of optimism, the knowing sparkle in his eyes that reflected the indomitable spirit that had kept him going through the trials that would have crushed most men, had returned, fully and dramatically. The barbarian didn't need to know the identity of the person. He was just glad that his friend had come through the depression. When they moved out later that morning, they seemed more a party just beginning an adventure than the road-weary band. Whistling and talking, they followed the flow of the Ralvin on its westerly course. For all of the close calls, they'd come through the brutal march relatively unscathed and, it appeared, had made good progress toward their goal. The summer sun shone down upon them and all the pieces of the puzzle of Mithra Hall seemed to be within their grasp. They could not have guessed that murderous eyes were upon them. From the foothills north of the Ralvin, high above the travelers, the golems sensed the drow elf's passing. Following the tug of magic spells of seeking that Dendibar had bestowed upon it, Bach soon looked down upon the band as they moved across the trail. Without hesitation, the monster obeyed its directives and started out to find Sydney. Bach tossed aside a boulder that lay in its path, then climbed over another that was too big to move, not understanding the advantages of simply walking around the stones. Bach's path was clearly set, and the monster refused to deviate from that course by one inch. He's a big one, chuckled one of the guards at the post on the Ralvin when he saw Bach across the clearing. Even as the words left his mouth, though, the guard realized the impending danger. That was no ordinary traveler. Courageously, he rushed out to meet the golem head-on, his sword drawn and his companion close behind. Transfixed by his goal, Bach paid no heed to their warnings. Hold where you are, the soldier commanded one final time as Bach covered the last few feet between them. The golem did not know emotion, so it bore no anger toward the guards as they struck. They stood to block the way, though, and Bach swatted them aside without a second thought. The incredible force of its magically strong arms blasting through their parrying defenses and launching them through the air. Without even a pause, the golem continued on to the river and did not slow, disappearing under the rushing waters. Alarms rang out in the city, for the soldiers at the gate across the river saw the spectacle at the guard post. The huge gates were drawn tight and secured as the Knights of Silver watched the Ralvin for the reappearance of the monster. Bach kept its line straight across the bottom of the river, plowing through the silt and mud and easily holding its course against the mighty push of the currents. When the monster re-emerged directly across from the guard post, the knights lining the city gate gasped in disbelief but held their stations, grim-faced and weapons ready. The gate was farther up the Ralvin from the angle of Bach's chosen path, 
The golem continued up to the city wall, but didn't alter its course to bring it to the gate. It punched a hole in the wall and walked right through. And Treri paced anxiously in his room at the inn of the wayward sages, near the center of the city. They should have come by now, he snapped at Sidney, sitting on the bed and tightening the bonds that held Caterbury. Before Sidney could respond, a ball of flame appeared in the center of the room. Not a real fire, but the image of flames, illusionary, like something burning in that particular spot on another plane. The fires writhed and transformed into the apparition of a robed man. Morkai? Sidney gasped. My greetings, replied the specter. And the greetings of Dendibar the Mottled. And Jury slipped back into the corner of the room, wary of the thing. Caterbury, helpless in her bonds, sat very still. Sidney, versed in the subtleties of conjuring, knew that the otherworldly being was under Dendibar's control and she was not afraid. Why has my master bid you to come here? she asked boldly. I bear news, replied the specter. The party you seek was turned into the Evermores a week ago to the south of Nesme. Sidney bit her lip in anticipation of the specter's next revelation, but Morkai fell silent and waited as well. And where are they now? Sidney pressed impatiently. Morkai smiled. Twice I have been asked, but not yet compelled. The flames puffed again, and the specter was gone. The Evermores, said Entreri. That would explain their delay. Sidney nodded her agreement absently, for she had other things on her mind. Not yet compelled, she whispered to herself, echoing the specter's parting words. Disturbing questions nagged at her. Why had Dendabar waited a week to send Morkai with the news? And why couldn't the wizard have forced the specter to reveal more recent activity of the drow's party? Sidney knew the dangers and limitations of summoning, and understood the tremendous drain on the act on the wizard's power. Dendabar had conjured Morkai at least three times recently, once when the drow's party had first entered Luskin, and at least twice since her and her companions had set out in pursuit. Had Dendabar abandoned all caution in his obsession with the crystal shard? Sidney sensed that the mottled wizard's hold over Morkai had lessened greatly, and she hoped that Dendabar would be prudent with any future summonings, at least until he had fully rested. Weeks could pass before they arrive, and Trevi spat, considering the news. If ever they do. You may be right, agreed Sidney. They may have fallen in the moors. And if they have, then we go in after them. Sidney said without hesitation. And Trary studied her for a few moments. The prize you seek must be great indeed, he said. I have my duty. I shall not fail my master, she replied sharply. Bach will find them even if they lay at the bottom of the deepest bog. We must decide our course soon, and Trary insisted. He turned his evil glare on Caterbury. I grow weary of watching this one. Nor do I trust her, Sidney agreed, although she shall prove useful when we meet the dwarf. Three more days we will wait. After that we go back to Nesme and into the Evermores if we must. And Trevi nodded his reluctant approval of the plan. Did you hear? He hissed at Caterbury. 
you have three more days to live, unless your friends arrive. If they are dead in the moors, we have no need of you. Catterby showed no emotion throughout the entire conversation, determined not to let Entreri gain any advantage by learning of her weakness or strength. She had faith that her friends were not dead. The likes of Brunner Battlehammer and Trist Arden were not destined to die in an unmarked grave in some desolate fen. And Catterbury would never accept that Wolfgar was dead until the proof was irrefutable. Holding to her faith, her duty to her friends was to maintain a blank facade. She knew that she was winning her personal battle, that the paralyzing fear and Trevi held over her lessened every day. She would be ready to act when the time came. She just had to make certain that Entreri and Sidney didn't realize it. She'd noted that the labors of the road and his new companions were affecting the assassin. Entreri revealed more emotion, more desperation every day to get this job over and done. Was it possible that he might make a mistake? It has come, echoed a cry from the hallway, and all three started reflexively, then recognized the voice of Jerdan, who'd been watching the Vault of Sages. A second later, the door burst in and the soldier scrambled into the room, his breathing ragged. The dwarf? Sidney asked, grabbing Jerdan to steady him. No! Jerdan cried. The golem! Bach has entered Silvery Moon! They have it trapped down by the west gate! A wizard was summoned! Damn! Sidney spat, and she started from the room. And Cherry moved to follow her, grabbing Jerdan's arm and yanking him around, bringing him to face him. Stay with the girl, the assassin ordered. Jerdan glared at him. She is your problem. And Trevi easily could have killed the soldier right there, Catterbury noted, hoping that Jerdan had read the assassin's deadly look as clearly as she. Do as you are told, Sidney screamed at Jerdan, ending further argument. She and Entreri laughed, the assassin slamming the door behind them. He would have killed you, Catterbury told Jerdan when Entreri and Sidney had gone. You know that. Silence, Jerdan growled. I've had enough of your vile words. He approached her threateningly, fists clenched at his sides. Strike me, then, Catterbury challenged, knowing that even if he did, his code as a soldier would not allow him to continue such an assault on a helpless foe. Although, in truth, I be your only friend on this cursed road. Jerdan stopped his advance. Friend, he balked. As close as you'll find out here, Catterbury replied. You're a prisoner here, sure as I be. She recognized the vulnerability of this proud man, who had been reduced to servitude by the arrogance of Sidney and Entreri, and drove her point home hard. They mean to kill you, you know that now. And even if you escape the blade, you'll have nowhere to go. You've abandoned your fellows in Luskin. And the wizard in the tower to put you to the bad end if you ever went back there, anyway. Jerdan tensed in frustrated rage, but did not lash out. Me friends are close by, Catterbury continued despite the warning signs. They be living still, I know, and we'll be meeting them any day. That'll be our time, soldier, to live or to die. For myself, I see a chance, whether me friends win or I be bargained over. Me life will be me own. But for yourself, the road looks dark indeed. If me friends win, they'll cut you down, and if your mates win... She let the grim possibilities hang unspoken for a few moments to let Jerdan weigh them fully. 
when they get what they seek, they'll need no Moria, she said grimly. She noted his trembling, not of fear, but of rage, and pushed him past the edge of control. They may let ye live, she said, snidely. Might that they be needin' a lackey. He did strike her then, just once, and recoiled. Caterbury accepted the blow without complaint, even smiling through the pain, though she was careful to hide her satisfaction. Jerdan's loss of self-restraint proved to her that the continual disrespect Sidney and especially Entreri had shown for him had fueled the flames of discontent to the verge of explosion. She knew, too, that when Entreri returned and saw the bruise Jerdan had given her, those fires would burn even brighter. Sidney and Entreri rushed through the streets of Silvery Moon, following the obvious sounds of commotion. When they reached the wall, they found Bach encapsulated in a sphere of glowing green lights. Riderless horses paced about to the groans of a dozen injured soldiers, and one old man, the wizard, stood before the globe of light, scratching his beard and studying the trapped golem. A knight of silver of considerable rank stood impatiently beside him, twitching nervously and clasping the pommel of his sheathed sword tightly. Destroy the thing and be done with it. Sidney heard the knight say to the wizard, Oh, no, exclaimed the wizard, but it is marvelous. Do you mean to hold it here forever? The knight snapped back. Just look around and... Your pardon, good sirs, Sidney interrupted. I am Sidney of the host tower of the Arcane in Luskin. Perhaps I may be of some help. Well met, said the wizard. I am Mizzen of the Second School of Knowledge. Know you the possessor of this magnificent creature? Bach is mine, she admitted. The knight stared at her, amazed that a woman, or anyone for that matter, controlled the monster that had knocked aside some of his finest warriors and taken down a section of the city wall. The price shall be high, Sidney of Luskin, he snarled. The host tower shall make amends, she agreed. Now, would you release the golem to my control? She asked the wizard. Bach will obey me. Nay, snapped the knight. I'll not have the thing turned loose again. Calm, Galvin, Missen said to him. He turned to Sidney. I should like to study the golem, if I may. Truly the finest construction I've ever witnessed, with strength beyond the expectations of the books of creation. I am sorry, Sidney answered. But my time is short. I have many roads yet to travel. Name the price of the damage wrought by the golem, and I shall relay it to my master on my word as a member of the host tower. You'll pay now, argued the guard. Again, Mizzen silenced him. Excuse Gavin's anger, he said to Sidney. He surveyed the area. Perhaps we might strike a bargain. None seem to have been seriously injured. Three men have been carried away, Gavin rebutted and at least one horse is lame and will have to be destroyed. Mizzen waved his hand as if to belittle the claims. They will heal, he said. They will heal and the wall needed repairs anyway. He looked at Sidney and scratched his beard again. Here's my offer, and a fairer one you'll not hear. Give me the golem for one night, just one, and I shall amend the damage it has wreaked. Just one night. And... You'll not dissemble Bach? Sidney stated. Not even the head? Missen begged. 
Not even the head, Sidney insisted. And I shall come for the golem at the first light of dawn. Mizzen scratched his beard again. A marvelous work, he mumbled, peering into the magical prison. Agreed. If that monster, Gavin began angrily. Oh, where is your sense of adventure, Gavin? Mizzen shot back before the knight could even finish his warning. Remember the precepts of our town, man. We are here to learn, if you only understood the potential of such a creation. They started away from Sydney, paying her no more mind, the wizard still rambling into Gavin's ear, and Trerry slipped from the shadows of a nearby building to Sydney's side. Why did that thing come? he asked her. She shook her head. There can be only one answer. The drow? Yes, she said. Bach must have followed them into the city. Unlikely, reasoned Entreri, though the golem might have seen them. If Bach came crashing through behind the drow and his valiant friends, they would have been down here at the battle, helping to fend it off. Then they might be out there still. Or perhaps they were leaving the city when Bach saw them, said Entreri. I'll make inquiries with the guards at the gate. Fear not, our prey is close at hand. They arrived back at the room a couple of hours later. From the guards at the gate, they had learned of the drow's party being turned away, and now they were anxious to retrieve Bach and be on their way. Sidney started a string of instructions to Jerdan concerning their departure in the morning. But what grabbed Entreri's immediate attention was Caterbury's bruised eye. He moved over to check her bonds and, satisfied that they were intact, spun on Jerdan with his dagger drawn. Sidney, quickly surmising the situation, cut him off. Not now, she demanded. Our rewards are at hand. We cannot afford this. And Trevi chuckled evilly and slid the dagger away. We will yet discuss this, he promised Jerdan with a snarl. Do not touch the girl again. Perfect. Caterbury thought. From Jerdan's perspective, the assassin might as well have said outright that he meant to kill him. More fuel for the flames. When she retrieved the golem from Miss in the next morning, Sidney's suspicions that Bach had seen the drow's party were confirmed. They set out from Silvery Moon at once, Bach leading them down the same trail Brunner and his friends had taken the morning before. Like the previous party, they too were watched. Illustrial brushed her flowing hair from her fair face, catching the morning sun in her green eyes as she looked down upon the band with growing curiosity. The lady had learned from the gatekeepers that someone had been inquiring about the Dark Elf. She couldn't yet figure out what part this new group leaving Silvery Moon played in the quest, but she suspected that they were up to no good. Illustrial had sated her own thirst for adventure many years before, but she wished now that she could somehow aid the drow and his friends on their noble mission. Affairs of state pressed in on her, though, and she had no time for such diversions. She considered for a moment dispatching a patrol to capture this second party, so that she could learn its intentions. She then turned back to the city, reminding herself that she was just a minor player in the search for Mithril Hall. She could only trust in the abilities of Drizduarden and his friends.